0: You're listening to Fish Food, where we present bite sized accounting and entrepreneurship advice in 25 minutes or less. Keep listening for interviews, guidance, and resources for freelancers and small businesses. And if you enjoy, rate and subscribe to let others know about the gym you found. Now, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Fish Food, a podcast from Little Fish Accounting. I am your host, Keela Hill Trewick, and today I am here with Decorah Davis. And we are going to talk a bit about her business, about the services that she offers to people like you. And um, yeah, I guess let's get into it. Let's start with you giving me a bit of a bio, give me some background about what you're doing now with your business and how you serve other small businesses.
1: Awesome. Well, one, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and just share my smarts with your audience. I am Takora Davis founder and chief Esquire officer of the Creators Law Firm. And I also own a second business called Business Bakery. The law firm is really a boutique intellectual property and business law firm, and we help people protect their smarts. So any type of creative work or product or program or business name, we are the go-to, I'd like to think, for those things. Uh, I found that by serving hundreds of entrepreneurs and really talking to probably thousands of people, I almost felt like after a while I was creating the haves and the have-nots. And it was really bothering me because I felt like I'm, I'm speaking with these amazing business owners. I don't have the capacity to serve everyone on a pro bono basis. Mm-hmm. The people who couldn't afford my services. And so unfortunately, what happens with those individuals who may not be able to get access to a great attorney, uh, they're going to turn to the University of Google mm-hmm. <laughs> or Facebook you groups, and yeah. pages, right? <laughs> YouTube University. And that often is not the best route to go, especially when you're building something that It's kind of fragile. You're building a new business. It's never existed before. And so that really had me do some internal soul searching. And I said, what can I do? What can I create to really fill a gap in the marketplace that I'm seeing? Mm -hmm. Which is why I created Business Bakery which is going to serve as a hub for contracts, courses, and biz resources for entrepreneurs. Our first flagship product is Breadwinner. It's a legal toolkit for entrepreneurs. So it teaches you how to DIY trademark and copyright registrations. It gives you access to a whole library of contract templates that you can use in your business. I even have an accounting contract template in there. And so people are able to go into the course and pull contracts if they get new opportunities or new clients or new speaking engagement. So it's really a great product. People can pay for it on a monthly basis. And my students who are going through it now really enjoy it. So that's kind of like, you
0: know, my little mini empire that I have going on here. Hey, I'm always excited about our empires and building them. And I mean, it sounds like you have kind of a mix of like, stuff that you've been doing and new experiences happening. So let's go backwards a little bit and talk about how you got started. And part of the reason I ask is because, you know, I'm interested anyway. But also I've noticed, especially with lawyers, that like there is a plethora of entry points into the law uh, from people who started always knowing that that's what they wanted to do Or starting knowing that they wanted to be in law, but not this kind of law So tell me a bit about your path and how you got here.
1: Oh, man. Okay. So Interesting stories built with lots of ups and downs the first time I said I wanted to be a lawyer I believe I was eight years old in fourth grade and that was after watching The amazing Johnny Cochran on TV with the O.J. Simpson trial.
0: Mm, Yeah. Ever
1: seen a black man with so much power. (laughs) I didn't even understand the concept of lawyers. And I remember asking questions about because clearly the the trial was very important. It was on all the time. So even at a young age, I knew like, why is this court case on? Why is everyone so interested in this? And I was like, it's on every day. I feel like it went on forever because it probably did. Um, and I began to ask questions of, well, what do lawyers do? And you know, what is their job? And so my dad was explaining to me, well, they help people. They kind of, you know, they're they're the voice for other people. And you know, I had always had a, a spirit and a heart to help other people. So I started saying, I want to be a lawyer when I grow up. That sounds really cool, you know. Um, and I remember. Um, <laughs> I remember one of my homework was saying, I'm gonna be a lawyer when I grow up. And I remember talking about like, OJ didn't do it. <laughs> Just because they found a little blood doesn't mean do it. free OJ. I'll be I have my homework to prove it. I think I got a like ninety seven because the teacher was hating on it. she. You know, so it was really hilarious. Um, So that was really where it kind of started. Um, I would say, as growing up, I kind of began to explore other career paths, and then I said, well, maybe I'll be a doctor. You know, so I have a biology degree because Ah. I was doing medicine, and um, I said I wanted to be a laser eye surgeon, an ophthalmologist. And during my studies in undergrad, I was in the lab, and I was doing research, and I was working with genetically modified organisms, and you know, I just kind of looked up and I was like, this is not what I want to do. Like, I I really don't love science. And to be a doctor, you have to have a love and a respect for science. And I respected it, but I didn't love it. But in that laboratory is where I learned about intellectual property law. um, Because my plant physiologist like the the professor over the lab she was saying, you know, to Cora we really need scientists in Washington. <laughs> People need to understand about how science influences laws." And she said, you know, "We are creating some unique organisms here and we can get p- patents on our plants." And I'm like, "What?" And, "Oh, she's wow." Talking about basically how, you know, if you create a new type of plant, it can be protected. And I began to say, wow, I had no idea that science and the law could maybe blend. And so I kind of went back and I was like, I always said I wanted to be a lawyer. You know, maybe I can, you know, explore that. I had an opportunity after graduation to go work in DC on the Hill for Congresswoman Marsha Fudge. And during that time, I really was, you know, basically a staff assistant. And I began to see how things worked. And I was pretty much serving in that period of time while I was there for about a year and really reignited my passion for the law again and pursuing it. And I said, okay, I'll be a patent attorney. Uh, that's what I ended up doing. Uh, where, what, that was the, kind of the desire in my head. I'll go to law school. I'll become a patent attorney because they make tons of money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I got into they law. Work very hard. <laughs> yeah, I worked very hard. Got into law school. And then I ended up taking a patent drafting course. And I was like, this sucks. Like this almost feels like I'm back in a lab. I don't like this. Um, but the one of the talks that we had was from a woman. She was like an intellectual property lawyer at Coca-Cola. And I was like, "This is fascinating." She's talking about trademarks and copyrights, and you know all this type of stuff. And so I said, "Maybe that's the route that I'm going to go." And that is kind of where this little topsy turvy path led me down the road of perhaps pursuing intellectual property law. And uh, after I graduated law school, I got a job as an intellectual property analyst at a healthcare innovation startup. And I was actually doing patent research there, even though I didn't like that part. The part that I loved the most was all the inventors that I got to meet. I began to talk with the inventors and hear about their stories and hear about why they created the unique products they did. I began to understand, is this commercially viable? Is it marketable? Should this really be in a store? Or are consumers going to purchase it? And so little did I know, like, it's almost like my life just began to make a little bit more sense. And so, um, you know, I... <laughs> unfortunately ended up getting let go from that job. I was four months pregnant <laughs> and um, they just were downsizing. You know, they, they were like, this isn't working out. And so they ended up letting everyone pretty much go. And I'm like, I need to get a job. Like I have my law, I'm a licensed attorney. Like, you know, I'm, I, even though I'm pregnant, I, I can get a job. And my husband was like, no, like just relax. You know, I'll take care of you. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like I need to work. I should have just sat down somewhere. But no, not. not, uh, I ended up getting a job at a law firm. It was an entertainment lawyer in town. And I thought, this is my dream job. I finally get to practice trademark law. I get to work with creative people. I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm really excited. And it was a, a nightmare working for him. It could have probably been traumatizing. He was just very, very volatile. It was like walking on eggshells. He would cuss at us, you know, yell at us and things like that. And I'm pregnant. That job uh, showed me a lot of different things. I didn't learn anything from him about practicing law. He basically treated me like a, you know, a secretary or an assistant. And assistants are amazing people. So I did my job well. And even though I didn't learn anything about practicing law from him, I learned how to run a law firm. Mm -hmm. I also learned how not to run a law firm and how not to treat people who are there to help you, you know, you achieve your dream. I went on maternity leave. The entire time I was on maternity leave, I just went back and forth about, should I go back to this job? I don't know. I felt like it was my only option, honestly. I didn't have a lot of experience as an attorney. I was looking for a way to kind of get my, my feet wet. And I almost felt like this is my only shot because I wasn't hearing back from anybody else when I was applying for jobs. And I called him about five weeks after having my son saying, hey, I'm ready to come back to work. And um, on the phone, he goes... Yeah, I thought about that while you were away. I think you really need to just stay home. I no longer think you're fit for the (gasps) success of this firm. Uh, I think you need to stay home and get over your pregnancy brain. Oh my God. Focus on healing your body. I'll never forget that he said that to me. And I just said to him very sheepishly, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I wish you well. And I got off the phone and my husband sat there and he was like, well, there's your answer,
0: you know, like <laughs> the universe <laughs> um, decided for you.
1: Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I'm so thankful for the opportunity, though, because he gave me um, the gift of doubt. That's what I call it. Anytime somebody doubts you, it's really a gift because it gives you. It sometimes that's the key that unlocks something inside of you that you didn't even know existed, and. You know, I was working part time doing some legal work after that, just trying to find my way. And I realized if I don't take my life into my own hands, this is all that I'm going to do. I'm going to work for other people. I'm not going to have control over how my life is going. I'm going to be upset. You know, I'm I, I'm just going to be kind of like, you know, a leaf tossed to and fro. And I prayed about it. And I said, Lord, I've applied for over 100 jobs. I haven't heard anything. Am I supposed to open up my own business? Like, am I supposed to open up my own law firm? And um, a piece just washed over me when that happened. I was like, "Oh crap! It's totally not what I want to do." Oh, like, this is what you're saying yes to yeah. And but, you know, I thought about it. I was like, "This this seems to be the only way that this is going to happen." Every door it's closed. So, I began to just make a decision. You know, to open up the firm. Uh, in August of the following year, August 2017 was really gonna be the opening date why I, I think I said, oh my son'll be a year, it'll be better then. I was in church and my pastor called me up in December 2016 and he's like, yeah no, God says open it now. I'm like, wait, sir. <laughs> I have a six month old baby. you know And he said, you know, make haste, the time is now you really need to move fast And I said, okay, I'm gonna be obedient, I'm gonna listen. I open up my law firm. I opened January 16th. And a week later, I got a phone call from VH1 to appear on a TV show. Oh my gosh. Crazy pants. Um, (laughs) So that was, they were like literally like my first or second client. I was able to, like a week or two later, I'm literally like eight cameras are on me. I'm consulting and speaking to um, an on-air personality and telling her about her rights and things like that and what she should and shouldn't do. It was on a ratchet reality TV show. Everybody loves those. It, it, but it was amazing because if I did not move, if I did not open it when I was instructed to and if I was going to originally wait until August, I would not have been able to take advantage of that opportunity and even if I didn't work for the crazy guy, you know, I never would have realized I had it in me to be successful because I'm like, if this guy has a firm and is doing reasonably well, I can, I can certainly do, it. do 10 times better. You know, I can certainly do this. So, long story, but a good story that kind of shows you like how I pretty much started and got to this point of opening this
0: firm. No, that's crazy. I mean, fun, crazy, but also a <laughs> reminder that. In a lot of ways, our decisions are not our own. Like Obviously, we have free will to choose them, but the universe will make moves to make sure that you go where it would like you to go when it's ready for you to do so. And so it's interesting that you went from a place of working for companies and working for someone to working for yourself, even though it was in a similar but not at all the same path. So now that you're here and you're running your own law firm, what do you think... Is one of the more common misconceptions about what you do. Um, And this is especially, I think of this for lawyers because I think of it as an accountant where people are like, oh, you're an accountant, so you know all the things about numbers. And I'm like, there are parts of accounting that I don't have to do. But from the outside, people just assume there's one label, CPA, you've got everything that has to do with money. So when it comes to your business and the services that you provide, what do you think is Something that comes up that's kind of a myth of what they would expect of you that's not actually true.
1: So, some people just assume that all lawyers like wear suits and they go into the like courtrooms and with briefcases and they argue on your behalf. I don't do any of the sort. Uh, <laughs> um, and I, I thought that I wanted to do litigation, but I was like, mm-hmm no, I'm not going to do that. So I'm a more, I'm a transactional lawyer. So I think some people don't know that, oh, there's transactional lawyers who kind of not necessarily push paperwork. What we deal with a lot of paperwork, um, a lot of advisement, consulting, truly counselors at law, right? And then you have some who are litigators. They're also counselors at law. They're going before courts before judges and juries and they're making certain arguments on your behalf or moving your cases forward and things like that I also think that there's a bit of a misconception that people just believe that just because you want to hire an attorney that they have to take you as a client You know, I can fire clients. I don't have to take you as a client, you right. know And i've been able to do that, you know, I say hey, I don't think that this is a good fit I don't believe that my services are going to be what you need to support you, Right There's just a few misconceptions around in terms of just the general practice of law. And with respect to what I do, people often confuse patents with trademarks and copyrights. There's always people who have a misconception about that. So they're all different. (laughs) And I explain it this way. Criminal law is like this big umbrella. And underneath the umbrella of criminal law, you have robbery, because that's a crime, You also have speeding tickets. That's a crime, right? So it's just a type of criminal law. Similarly, intellectual property is the umbrella. And underneath the umbrella of intellectual property, you'll have patents, trademarks, trade secrets, personality rights, copyrights. Each of those is a different type of intellectual property law, right? Patents protect unique inventions, something that has a function, not a name you invented, Literally, an invention, something that has a function that can do something. So, everything from the engine in your car to how a pen is put together and clicks up and down. Uh, Copyrights protect literary works, so books, poetry, and artistic works, podcasts, audio, video, photo, unique choreography, sculptures, uh, music. That's what copyright protects. Trademarks protect marks, which are names, used in connection with a trade, which is a business, hence the name trademark. So Ah. trademark protect business names, taglines, logos, anything that can be used as a source identifier. What that means is if I look at your name or your tagline, or even a unique color that you own, and I can tell like, oh, that's that business. That helps me identify your business as the source. That is a trademark. So yes, under unique circumstances, a company can actually own a color. Think of it this way. Home Depot owns that weird orange color. T-Mobile owns the magenta pink. But remember, they own it for the category. Of products or services they have. So T Mobile owns that magenta pink for phone carrier services. So no other phone carrier should use that color. If so, there's gonna probably be some lawsuits. Wow. Same thing with like UPS and that brown, you know, and gold, they own that for delivery, you know, delivery services. Um, Tiffany Blue, they own that for jewelry services. So really, if another company is gonna start putting that Tiffany Blue color, on different jewelry, that could obviously trigger a lawsuit. Why? Because people are going to associate the infringing product with the other company because why you think of those colors and you're thinking of that business as the source. The trade secrets, I'll talk about that. Those are like your unique secrets within your business. I see this a lot with my clients who are makers or artisans and they create either unique recipes or they create unique soaps or lotions or body um, scrubs and things like that. You don't want to copyright that because it, the world will know all your ingredients because oh, when you yeah. copyright it, it's public record. So what's the best thing to do? Like they do the Coca-Cola formula or the KFC, like 12 urban spices blend. They have it like locked up in some vault <laughs> somewhere. It's a trade secret because of that secret formula got out it would be detrimental to their brand. Someone else could replicate it. So a trade secret is where they're saying, listen, you have to keep secret or not disclose this information. And how that applies to small business owners, that could be your unique customer list, your supplier list. Those things are also your intellectual property. These are your customer lists that you own, which is why some people or some brands want to purchase it. They want to get access to your list because it has value. People don't think of it that way. Um, And then finally, personality rights. That means the rights that you and I have to our name, our image, you know, how our voice. When people come on your podcast, (laughs) they should probably sign something that says, hey, you can use my name, image, my voice in connection with promotion. Most people don't do it. But let's say, for instance, like other people, they've interviewed all these people and they turn around, they want to write a book. Do you really want to go and get permission from like 50 eleven people that you interviewed for a podcast? Right? Because uh, you yeah. So if you kind of have them sign that up front, then you can say, Oh, well, I can utilize this audio or the what we talked about in these discussions in a book, and I don't have to go back and I don't have to ask for permission in terms of your own personality rights, you know, that shows you like, hey. I maybe don't, just because my photographer put, put, took a picture of me, it doesn't mean that I'm saying the photographer can sell the photo to some big company and then they use my image to market themselves. Sometimes there's some some thin lines there. So, again, that's intellectual property. Honestly, it's the most valuable assets that you own. It's oftentimes the least discounted, but is if you look at the value of your company, truly almost all companies, the value is their intellectual property, unless you're moving and selling physical products. But even then with the physical products, if they have a unique proprietary ingredient or formulas, then intellectual property
0: is going to be involved there as well. So intellectual property is much more complicated than I gave it credit for. (laughs) Uh, Some people may or may not know this. Before I went to Little Fish full-time, I used to work for the Patent and Trademark Office. I was an accountant there. Oh, wow. Um, But the thing is, when you're an accountant, you're siloed. And so I saw, I think I took like a class on patents for non-examiners or something and it was complicated and hard and confusing and a lot of work and I know why they work so many hours now like all of that makes sense to me but when you think of it either as a consumer or even as a small business owner in these small chunks you're just like patents trademarks copyrights pick one service one Get to take care of it for you, the end. And so, given especially how complicated it is, just overall, and how hard that may or may not be to translate for people, why did you choose to go with individuals and small business owners as your clientele? I would imagine that that is not really a tough sell that they need it, but it seems like it might be a little bit harder than if you're already in a field where they understand some of the conceptual items around it.
1: One of the reasons why I opened my law firm and I particularly wanted to target my services to African-Americans, to people of color, marginalized communities, is because of the history in this country with respect to the intellectual property of black and brown people. There is no, well, people may deny it, but I believe that black people are the most creative people in the world. But that money does not translate nor come back to us you know, we make a lot of other people rich. And the issue is there's an educational gap that I've intended for my services to fill. So a lot of what I do is educating people about how valuable what they're creating is. Because oftentimes I, I talk with people and they just automatically discount everything they do and they don't see any value in it. And that's really the huge issue. And I see that even when people say, well, you don't need a trademark you don't need a copyright. I've seen comments like that in certain groups. And I'm like, you wouldn't say that if you knew the value of it. You wouldn't say that if you knew how you can monetize your intellectual property. It's one step to protect it. It's a whole nother step to monetize it. And so I began to actually search. You know, Three years ago, I was searching to try to find a trademark attorney who was a Black woman in North Carolina, and she did not exist. She was not there. I was searching for you, girl. I was like, Where is my sis at? She's not here. That discouraged me. And I'm a lawyer. So I'm like, Well, if I'm a- discouraged by this, I can only imagine the people who are searching for a black female trademark attorney, a black male trademark attorney. They cannot find us. I found a handful at the time. I found two black men who were patent attorneys and one woman who was a patent attorney, but I didn't find any. That were trademark attorneys. So that was one where I realized and even overwhelmingly the attorneys in intellectual property are white. There's very little diversity. First of all, it's already yeah. not a lot of black attorneys, period. Maybe like I can't even remember the stat, but it's like maybe three percent. Yeah, what, accounting's yeah. like that too. Right. So then you take even a smaller sliver of that percentage and figure out how many of us are People of color are black, you know? And me knowing that black women are the number one group or fastest growing group of entrepreneurs, those are tons of businesses who need support with their intellectual property. So I began to look at those stats. I began to assess my own feelings. I began to say, how can I serve uniquely in the marketplace? And that is why I decided to position my firm in the way that I did. As I got up and running, I began to discover other women, Black women in particular, who had done this, like, Patrice. Patrice, I don't know your last name. I've never met her before, but I love her. um, Creative Genius Law. I believe she's in Chicago and also has a presence in D.C. My dear friend, Tyra of Hewley Smith Law in California, Raven of New Millennia Legal in Texas, Radiance. uh, She has a law firm. So I began to, like, Oh my God, I was like discovering these people as I started to get my law firm up and running. Like, oh my God, you're here. Like, I didn't know you existed, you know? But there really still aren't many in in North Carolina. I think there are a few more and that's great. I feel like we need to have more diversity in the law period, but also more diversity with respect to the type of practitioners that you can choose from.
0: That's really interesting. I thought about that a lot when I started, I mean, even when I started my CPA journey, like honestly, one of the reasons was because I was caught tired of this assumption that CPAs were older white men. And so I thought it was important that people in general, younger generation, older generation, workers, hiring managers, recruiters, all those people could see a young black woman and say she could be a CPA too because we don't exist in those arenas in the same way. And so to your point, being able to service our own communities to say, we exist here, we can perform these services for you and be able to relate in a way that you probably will not get from a white man who's doing the same service for you, who may or may not understand just the cultural things behind it, all of the pieces to your business. Because as we both know, for the people that we serve, like it's more than just your business. It's not just like, I built this thing. There are livelihoods and you yeah. know, struggles and personal experiences behind it that all make up to this one business that I'm able to do something for you. So I think that's really cool because it's, it's similar to my thoughts about like, yeah, as a Black woman who is in a space where there are not a lot of us, being able to do the work, but also being able to kind of lift up these other people in our fields to say like it's not just me. There are other people that can do something similar or something at least in the same arena, which kind of cuts out that whole idea that we're in competition because like now nah, all of us need to exist. I can't do all the work. (laughs) Exactly.
1: that's why I'm like, there really is, there is no, there's no need for, and of course, I think, you know, we're human. Those feelings will come up of competition. But if you really kind of just take a step back and look at it, it's like, this is an opportunity to invite community in, you know, as humans, we need community. I don't have attorneys that I can turn to and say, Hey, I have this unique issue with a client, like their work for me. And we kind of come together like these huge law firms. That's a huge asset. Uh, or, you know, these document template libraries that we can all look at and say, oh, you can get your documents from here. And so now we're starting to create our own community. The other Black women attorneys and other female attorneys that I'm meeting, and we're saying, okay, can't tell you the client's information, can't tell you too much info, but hey, This is what I have going on. What would you suggest? That is great because it's so lonely, even as a, just any type of entrepreneur, if you're building something, whether you're a lawyer accountant or creative, it's never existed before. We're building things. Yes, of course, other people have law firms, but what we're building never existed before. And that's a huge order for
0: anybody to take on. That was one of the hardest parts for me about entrepreneurship. Like, I think a lot of people worry about, like, the consistency of money and getting clients and all that. I think one of the hardest things for me was what you just mentioned, which was there's no one to ask. When something gets difficult, you know, we all have our own Levels of imposter syndrome and you think that you're doing something really well And something will come up that you either don't know or don't understand and this immediate feeling of like am I supposed to know this? Do other people know how to do this already? If you do where'd you get the information? Because it's not readily accessible And so that's one of the perks of kind of working for somebody is you have bosses or supervisors or people that used to do your job that you can go talk to and say hey what did you do when you ran across this, which, if you don't build that community for yourself, is really difficult to be a part of when you're an entrepreneur?
1: It's very difficult. Very difficult. And again, it can be very lonely. And, and you have to, I'm learning this myself, shift the mindset. We, Most of us who are high achieving people, women, especially black women, I believe, there is this thing of imposter syndrome when a new challenge comes your way. A new client comes your way, and you're thinking, even though I may have handled this challenge before, can I do it again? You know, was it a fluke the last time? And it's really because of perfectionism. We were grown, hey, you got to work twice as hard to be half as good. You got to work twice as hard to get half as far, you know? And that's just what the African American proverb was, you know, from our parents. And so, unfortunately, in a lot of us, as well as many other things, it creates perfectionism. And if you suffer from perfectionism, I'm a recovering perfectionist. You procrastinate, yeah. Your procrastination fuels the imposter syndrome. They're all linked, right? But it's, it's not cycle. that you, yeah. And it's not that you don't know what to do. You know what to do. There's just something in you that kind of makes you second guess your natural abilities, and you prove it to yourself every single time when you do it at the last minute. That was one of my my statuses a while back. And I said, you prove to yourself that you can do it every single time that you do it at the last minute. Because when you do it at the last minute, you kill it, you crush it, you get it done. So you know it's in you to do it. So let's shift our mindset to say, wow, this is a new challenge coming to me because it's an opportunity for me to learn more, to grow more, to be more of value to my clientele. And that's a hard mindset shift. I struggle with it myself. (laughs) but." Once I realized that, like, wow, this is an opportunity for me to be a greater asset if I attack this. And when I do attack it, I am becoming a greater asset. And I mean, I'm thankful because just filing a trademark, you know, okay, you can, you can file a trademark, but can you argue on behalf of your client and advocate on behalf of your client by submitting a legal brief based on legal arguments that they should be able to get this trademark? Most people who can do it themselves won't be able to do that. You know, so I know that there's a unique value proposition that I have in the marketplace based on my experience of filing over 260 applications
0: in the past almost three years. That is wild. That is <laughs> <a> wild. <one. laughs> and you're right. I mean, it goes beyond the task. I think that's that's where a lot of people get caught up. And again, with the similarities between accounting and Legal, it's like, yeah, some of the task based things you can absolutely DIY. It, oh. You are probably passing that off because it's convenient or because time wise it doesn't make sense for you to spend your time doing it. But in terms of like actual ability, sure, you could do your own bookkeeping. But like, can you file your own taxes? <laughs> right. yeah. Probably not. Do you know where to look for these things? Yeah. And so that kind of leads me to my next question. Because I would imagine that you receive a lot of clients or people who are looking to your services after they've already messed something up or after they've already tried and we won't call it failed. We'll just say they made the attempt and it hasn't worked out so well. What have you noticed is the most common mistake that you see people make either before they get to you or when they're in the trademark process?
1: The most common mistake is choosing trademarks that are just inherently weak. So people don't even create a unique or strong business name in the first place. Ah. You're already starting. You're starting out losing. And here's the thing. What I find most with my Black people, we choose descriptive trademarks. We'll say the Black this or the Black that. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it. But if you're too descriptive, you may not even be able to get a trademark. Trademarks, the whole purpose of a trademark is for someone to be able to look at your name and be able to find your business in order to give you their money. Just think of it that way. If you choose a name that is common or too descriptive from a search engine optimization standpoint, it's going to be difficult to find you. So if I call myself the Black Lawyer Law Firm or something like that, well, how many articles talk about Black lawyers? right? How many people descriptively describe themselves as such? So my law firm page may not come up because I called it the black lawyer law firm or something like that, right? And black lawyers literally is descriptive of who I am and, or the people It's descriptive of the service that I provide or who I am or the product. Same way that I've seen in other businesses where they're like, okay, I'm going to sell hair oil, but I'm going to call my hair oil tea tree hair oil, (laughs) <laughs> you know, but people will do things like that or things that are com- comparable to that. And what happens? Tea tree hair oil literally is the type of hair oil. You cannot own the generic form of a name. It's still descriptive. It's generic. So those are the two like things that really will take a business down because you'll end up wasting a lot of money on a trademark process, I won't even file trademarks like that unless I have a huge disclaimer from a client. because so I'm like, this is not going to work out. I've had like one client not listen to me. And what I told her was going to happen, which was her trademark getting refused, happened. You know, that's not my fault. Just you got to use choose stronger names. So here's how you can choose a stronger trademark name. It can be fanciful. That means it's completely made up. The whole reason this word was created was for it to represent your business. This is what we see with Kodak and Panasonic. If I ask you, what is a Kodak? You can be like, I don't, I mean, it's the name of a company, but it doesn't like, it's not like it's the name of some animal in Argentina or something crazy like that, right? So that's a fanciful trademark. Those are the strongest type. They're almost guaranteed to register even without an attorney. Gasp. Okay. Arbitrary trademarks are the second ones that are very, very strong um if you can try to create one of those you, it would be great so an arbitrary trademark is hey this word already exists in the english language or whoever's language but it's not normally associated with the products or programs or services that you are offering we see this with target it's a great supermarket right but we know that target has another meaning outside of that we see this with pandora jewelry you know another name or dove chocolate right? Trying to do that, getting an arbitrary trademark, great, or a minimum suggestive A suggestive trademark kind of possibly suggests to the public what your services could possibly be. We see this with places like Burger King. You're like, oh, they probably sell burgers there. Maybe some other stuff too, right? (laughs) Um, So at minimum, we want suggestive trademarks, at best arbitrary or fanciful. So if we can try to position our products for that, great. If you want to use a descriptive name, like the black this or the black that, awesome, Use that as your tagline. Your tagline can be a great place for you to be descriptive because it helps clarify what your main service offering is or can clarify your main trademark, your house trademark, your house mark. So trying to flip the script on that would be amazing because if you can do that, again, it it helps you uh, immediately gain brand recognition and market share. That's what we want to secure. So the stronger your name is, immediately people will say, well, oh, no, that's her business. And anytime someone comes along and they try to do something similar as you, everybody, especially your fans or your supporters, they're going to look at the other person who came after with a side eye. They're they're absolutely going to not like that person (laughs) because it looks like they're
0: copying you because your name was so distinctive. That is great. I am so happy for all these free gems that you're (laughs) getting. today. (laughs) You're welcome. Happy to have you. So we are wrapping up time here today, but before we go, I definitely want to talk about your new baby, the Breadwinner, and tell people where they can find that, who it's good for, and what all they can expect to receive by participating in that program.
1: Awesome. So you can find out program details about Breadwinner at business.com bakery.com. Now, bakery is spelled with an I-E instead of an Y. So B-A-K-E-R-I-E. So Business Bakery, again, is this hub for contracts, courses, and biz resources. Breadwinner is our flagship program that is a legal toolkit that is going to pretty much help you protect your smarts on your own. So if you want to have a lot of tools in your legal toolkit get access to over 25 contract templates. It's a great library that we have that's growing every day. It's you know it's industry specific and it's peer reviewed so you can trust that you know the contracts that you're using, you know other people in your industry they've been able to look at them. and also really getting some foundational structure in place for your business. So we even talk about like do you have a profitable niche, I call it a rich niche. And how can you determine, like, I have all of these ideas, which one should I go with first? So we help you with that. We also talk about the appropriate business structure. So you know, like, am I choosing the right one? We kind of share with you. Also, how do you take one and plan all of this stuff? Because it can get overwhelming, the legal stuff. So we say, hey, every 90 days, you're going to work on a new thing. And here's how you can go through the program and do it this way. Again, a lot of people have said, wow, this is really blowing my mind people are surprised that the things that they actually have created and own and they didn't realize it was intellectual property. So people are like, I didn't realize I have over 50 different things that I can use. Or I created this and I'm going to use this as a new lead magnet. I don't even have to go and create anything else. So you began to have inventory of your intellectual property portfolio. And ultimately... If you want to put your position, your business in a position to eventually sell it, it's going to be much more profitable because you have a record of how valuable it is. It's going to allow you to work hard, um, not smarter, not harder, because you have access to those things. And we also have some coaching in place. So um, moving forward, it'll be once a month able to come on, ask questions about certain things. So you're, you know, never uh, f- further than like four weeks away from just getting that answer, qu- your questions answered. And we also have a Facebook support group. So you're able to ask questions there. All this month, I don't know when this episode is going up. I'll probably extend it also. I know we're going to have a Black Friday sale as well. But right now, if you use the code SMARTS, S-M-A-R-T-S, it's 33% off of Breadwinner.
0: Ah, I'll make sure that this goes up soon everyone so that you have the opportunity to take advantage I'm going to create a unique code for your listeners okay perfect it'll just be fish and (laughs) (laughs) and I'll put it in the show notes to remind you all so that you can't say you didn't see it Mm -hmm. well thank you very much for coming on today I definitely appreciate all the knowledge that you've dropped Um, I'm excited about what's coming up for business bakery and for the business as a whole and yeah thank you for showing up here today Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, there's good news. We've got additional free resources for you to get clear on your small business finances. Subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter by heading to littlefishaccounting.com slash subscribe and check us out on Instagram at littlefishaccounting.